I want to share a story. With my 20 hours of driving, I got, a, I got the opportunity to put in my earbuds and listen to a lot of TED Talks, a lot of podcasts. And one of the ones that was really fascinating to hear a TED Talk was by this woman named Amy Cuddy. She's a social psychologist, and she talks about these different power poses. And she studies how body posture and the way we conduct ourselves in these different poses communicates some kind of impact, whether it's social interactions or communication with others. And her research, actually, as I looked at it, uh, has come under a lot of scrutiny for different reasons, but I think it's worth entertaining because there's still some truth to her studies, and it's this. She argues that there's two different ways that we carry ourselves. Now, one way we do is we like to make ourselves bigger, right? And so what do you do? You broaden your shoulders. You put your arms and hands to the side. Uh, you'll stretch out your arms. Why? So that you'll make yourself as big as possible with your head up. Now, others will do this. They'll make themselves smaller. And the way you do that is you'll cross your legs. You'll cross your arms. You'll bow your head. And, you know, some of you guys are even doing that here. You have different poses. Some of you are kind of just open. Others of you cross your legs and kind of put your arms around your knees to make yourself smaller. Others, yeah, right now I'm seeing some guys now kind of go, yeah, I'm a big dude. I'm going to make myself bigger here. Or some of you might be taking the power nap pose, right? Some of you are tired and exhausted. Whatever it is, we, we tend to make ourselves bigger or smaller. Let me give you some examples. One example is this man, Usain Bolt. If you look at the way he's showing himself, there's no question who has won the race, right? He is one of the greatest athletes of our time. And here you see that power pose, that making oneself bigger. You see it, chin up, arms raised. He is in that power pose, making himself bigger. Now, not too long ago, in 2017, as Usain Bolt was coming down to the end of his career, in his last race, he actually lost. He lost to this man named Justin Gatlin by two hundredths of a second. But even though Justin Gatlin won, look at the pose that he takes in honor of Usain Bolt. Knees bowed, making himself smaller. Why? Because he's making himself smaller so that one who was greatest it becomes bigger. It's fascinating. And as we look at this, this study that Amy Cuddy has done, I want to propose for us, we also are in this place of living our lives with these kinds of decisions. We either make ourselves bigger, we want to receive all the glory, we want to make a name for ourselves, or we'll choose to make ourselves smaller so that something else can become bigger. And here in today's story, we look at these three different characters, and each one of them has a different power pose. And as we look at this story, the question that I've already asked you is, what power pose, or in essence, what will you worship in 2019? That's what we're going to be looking at. And the first character that I want us to look at that we read in this story 
is the Magi. Now, if you know the Christmas carol, we three kings of Orient are, right? We, some of us might assume that this story is about three kings. Uh, here in the ESV translation, we get three wise men. Or the wise men, not even three wise men, wise men. But the actual Greek word for the wise men here that is used is actually magos. And that word comes, we, that's the word we get for magic. And so what these three, or not three, and the other thing is we assume there's three. We have no idea how many or how few there were. They, we assume three because there's three different gifts that are brought to Jesus. But we actually have no idea. And so here the magi are probably these ancient priests who use astrology to be able to gain wisdom and insight and guidance into life. And so they use astrology to be able to be these sort of high-functioning, high, highly respected people in their time. And these are the people that we come to. And we notice that they, these men are also of, have, have a lot of, uh, um, are men of great means, right? And you know that just because of the cargo and the gifts that they bring. These things that are valuable, very expensive, these magi or these wise men bring them. So we know and assume that these are people with worth and have great means. And so these were the leaders of their nation. And from the east was probably from some Arabian, from the Arabian Peninsula area because of the frankincense and the myrrh and the spices that they brought. And so these were what you would say alpha dogs of their nation and of their culture. They commanded respect, honor. They, res they were people of high esteem. And this is who they are. And these are the people that you would expect to, that they would make themselves bigger and greater. But what do they do? What do they do? Look at verse 10 and 11. Instead of making themselves bigger, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. It would have made sense for these highly esteemed, respected people with power to command others to make themselves smaller so that they would become bigger. Right? But no, here instead what they do is they bow down and they make themselves smaller. You know, I... Many of you know, but some of you might not, but I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I know and understand our world is gigantic, right? But in the small city of Chicago, it, within the Korean community, my dad was a king. He was like these wise men who commanded respect and honor and that they would bow down to him. And so as a kid, I loved it. So anywhere we went, free food. Every time I knew they were going to go visit this one shoe, shoe shop down in the city of Chicago, I always went. You know why? Because I knew I would get free shoes. And so I had every single Jordan growing up free. Christmas time came around and I knew I was going to get lots of presents. 
obviously I loved it as a kid, but as I look back, I was a brat because I expected so many things from so many people. And here, this is what you would think the Magi would do, that they would command honor. But the surprising thing is that they bow down and make themselves smaller before the king. They worship Jesus. And what's so amazing is that when we think about this word worship, worship in many ways, you can argue, is a power pose as well, right? Whatever we worship, we make ourselves smaller so that that thing or somebody can become bigger. What do you worship? I'm not talking about just Sunday morning singing songs, coming to church, doing a devotional at home. I'm talking about what do you want to put on a pedestal where you will make yourself smaller so that that thing becomes greater and bigger. Why? For your own sake. And there's lots of different things we worship. It could be power. It could be comfort. It could be security. It could be control. It could be fame. It could be significance, acceptance. It could be love. It could be so many things that we worship. And here, the magi, these wise men, make themselves smaller. David Foster Wallace, he's an American writer and has acclaimed, written many acclaimed books. But in the book, This is Water, this is what he says. And he's not a believer. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they will finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. Isn't that true? We know whatever thing or even ourselves we worship, we know it is this incessant dissatisfaction that we continue to crave after. Tim Keller, I don't... I should follow it on Instagram, but my wife actually pointed me to this one Instagram post that he or his his underlings probably posted for him. But it's fascinating. He says, what are the things you seek? It's either power, approval, comfort, or control. And as we think about this, what is this is these are the things we worship. So if you worship power for success, winning, and influence, your greatest nightmare is humiliation. And people around you will often feel used. And your biggest emotional problem is anger. Any of you can identify with that? If you worship approval, affirmation, love, relationships, then your greatest nightmare is rejection. People around you will often feel smothered. And your biggest emotional problem is cowardice because you always want to please others. If it's comfort, then your greatest nightmare will be stress and the demands of life. And people around you will often feel neglected. And your biggest emotional problem is boredom. If you seek control, 
then your greatest nightmare is going to be uncertainty. And people around you will often feel condemned. And your biggest emotional problem is worry. St. Tinkel has always done a good job of being able to exegete our hearts. And these are the kinds of things that we desire to worship. Promotion, bigger homes, a special someone, insecurities. And what we see here is that if you worship the wrong thing, you'll never be satisfied. Right? If you worship the wrong thing, you will never be satisfied. And our souls are always longing for that. Think about these wise men. They're on this journey. And for all of the acclaim and power that they had and influence, they're still searching for something. And it's not until they come and encounter the, this baby, Jesus, finally, no longer is it dissatisfaction or humiliation, rejection, anger, cowardice. But what does verse 10 say? Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a mouthful. But they finally experienced joy. That was exceedingly joyous. And what came out of that was, there, was this desire then to bring these gifts of worship. You see, we have to find what is truly the right thing to worship. If we are truly worshipers, when we get our worship right, this is what happens. Joy, generosity, peace, contentment. But as we look at these king, as we look at these wise men, these magi, there's another power pose and another character we have to look at here that we just read about. And it's Herod the Great. If you look at verse 1, we come to this introduction of Herod. It says, Now after Jesus was born in the Bethlehem of, Ju Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Don't you love that? The days of Herod the king. He was the alpha dog of Israel. When you can say with your name in the days of Daniel's song, you know you've made it. That will probably not happen. But when your name is written here with this moniker of in the days of Herod the king, this man was demanded honor and respect and worship. He was Arab by race. He was raised Jewish, culturally Greek, and he was loyal to the Romans. He was this client king, and he knew how to navigate politics. He was able to keep Rome happy, and he was able to keep Israel and Jerusalem happy, and the Israelites happy. And what was so fascinating about them, there was a lot to celebrate about him. Because he was absolutely successful, not only as a politician, but also he had amazing achievements that are written down in history. There was remarkable feats in architecture and city planning that was attributed to this Herod. He rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem. He created a new city, Caesarea, in 12 years, creating this huge port and coast and other cities as well around Caesarea. He facelifted the entire city of Jerusalem with palaces, theaters, and seven great fortresses. A lot to be able to say this man made himself great. He had the right power pose, you could argue. 
And the Romans gave him the title King of the Jews. And I think that's why when you read in verse 3, he's very disturbed, right? Because he was king of the Jews. But look what verse 3 says. When Herod the king heard this, right, in verse, sorry, in verse 2, the Magi come and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's going to set something off in him. Because now this king of the Jews that the Magi are looking for is a real threat to, king, to the king. And so in verse 3, what does Herod, what do you read about him? He was troubled. He was troubled. And so he goes on at the end of verse 8. Look at verse 8. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He definitely wasn't going to worship the king. He was out to kill this king of the Jews because he was a threat. And here what you begin to see in King Herod is that he's going to make his name as big as possible. And anything that was a threat, he would destroy. And, and, and the history books make, make this absolutely clear. He had ten wives. And supposedly the only one that he loved, he grew suspicious of. And so he killed her. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his cousins, uncles, three of his sons. Seven days or ten days before his death, or he, he actually got super sick and was about to die. One of his sons assumed his place, but because he had, didn't die and feeling threatened by his son, he killed him for trying to assume power over him. And one of the craziest things that he did was knowing that no one would grieve his death. He plotted one of, his, one of his men to gather up all the Jewish leaders, put them into a stadium, and the minute that King Herod would die, he told them to execute all of the Israelite leaders so that at least the entire city of Jerusalem would grieve, even if it wasn't for him. This was King Herod. And what I would say carefully is that we share something in common with King Herod as well. We seek and crave significance. We crave satisfaction and security. We want power and approval and comfort. We want these things as much. We just do a better job of hiding it. We're careful and subtle in the ways that we want to make ourselves great. And it's true for all of us. We're longing for that desire to find that satisfaction by making ourselves greater. And this picture of Herod is a picture of all human souls when it misplaces its worship. You experience emptiness, isolation, joylessness. This is who we are. One commentator says, no one sets out for, miserable, for a miserable life. But misery is inevitable, is an inevitable outcome when you worship the wrong things. And here we see this in the life of Herod. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see that in our own lives. 
And what's so interesting about King Herod and the Magi is that both of them come seeking Jesus. One to make themselves smaller and one to make themselves bigger. And it leads us to the last character here, and it's Jesus. Jesus, as this young little toddler, is not, it wasn't the Christmas story. The Magi didn't come on the night that Jesus was born. He was probably a little older. He was a toddler. We don't know how old. But when the Magi come, what's so fascinating about Matthew's account is that Matthew refers to Herod three times as king. In verse 1 and 3, as Herod the king, but also in verse 9, as the king. But after the Magi coronate Jesus as king with the gifts and worship and bow down, Matthew then afterwards, in verses 13 and on, referred to Herod as just Herod. Why? Because the true king has come. Jesus doesn't come to be king. He comes as the king. This is who Jesus is. And we must take, pay attention to Jesus' power pose. The king of the universe. The one who has created all things and holds all things together. The one that deserves to be able to make himself greater. And the greatest, to assume the power pose of arms wide open, head lifted, legs spread out. What power pose does Jesus take? God, by definition, who is very, very, very big, takes, makes himself very, very, very small. Right? The Christmas story. He becomes a tiny infant placed in a manger in swaddling cloths. And if you know anything about swaddling cloths, you probably did it. What do we do with swaddling cloths? We wrap our babies as tight as we can. Why? So that we could sleep. But you realize none of it works. But in their time, you didn't use swaddling cloths so that you could sleep. The reason they would do it in Jewish culture is that you would actually make it like a straitjacket and, and do it as tight as possible. Why? So that they believed your limbs would grow straighter. And so think about this king of the universe, Jesus, being basically wrapped up in a straitjacket, come to us as a baby and makes himself smaller. He's immobilized in a straitjacket. The infinite God bound up, restricted, immobilized, and limited in every way possible for you and for me. God did not choose to make himself bigger. He made himself smaller. And that's why he is worthy of our worship. That is why we are to make ourselves smaller and we are to make himself bigger. But he didn't just come as a baby in a manger. He grew up to be a man would go to the cross and die the worst imaginable death possible in that time. Think of that. This God made himself smaller, not just as a baby, but went to the cross. When all the alpha dogs, rulers, leaders of this world thought that they finally killed him, 
In that moment, Jesus broken on the cross. He did not look like a man who took on a power pose, but rather it looked like defeat. It looked like it was completely and finally over. But when Jesus made himself smaller, a strange power got released through him. And as one commentator said, he said, a power larger than life, bigger than death, stronger than sin, which is why in his kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, the weak are made strong, the poor are made rich, and those that fall on their knees in desperate hope win. That is why we can worship God and make ourselves smaller instead of making ourselves bigger, as the world has taught us to do. I typed in make ourselves bigger. Every single business journal, every single business, finance, Harvard Business Journal, all of it talks about making ourselves bigger. And the wisdom of the world will tell you that every single moment when you step out of these doors, it will tell you to make yourselves bigger. But here, we have an inverted paradigm where the gospel is make yourself bigger, smaller, because Christ has done that. And when we do, we actually win. This is the good story. This is the good news of Jesus. Will you bow down to him? Even if it means failing, not succeeding in every way possible, will you bow down to him because he is worthy of our worship? Surrender now so that you can find your life in him. What will you worship this year and for the rest of your life? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this Jesus, God, who would make himself smaller to die for us so that though the world would say it is foolishness, but we know that it is the power of Christ that inevitably allows us to experience true joy, true generosity, true contentment, true peace. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us this year, in 2019, for us who follow Christ, though all the different voices of this world may tell us to worship this or that, Lord, I pray that we would follow you. For some of us who are still on this journey of finding that thing just like the Magi, Lord, I pray that they too in 2019 will find you worthy of their worship. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue.